Aren't you glad His love never fails? How many know God's got a reservoir of love that never runs empty? Aren't you glad? Barry's glad. I heard Barry say amen. Aren't you glad God has a reservoir of love that never runs out? Amen. That's more like it. I believe God wants us to come in here and get something out of the service. Amen? This morning, uh, let me just say, sometimes we wonder what God has in store. God has amazing things. Let me just tell you, good morning, and you're looking good. Whether you feel good or not, you're looking good. And I'm glad, because I was a little concerned about last week. After last week's message... I had visions running through my mind all week long of some of you on the couch, in your drawers, covered in Doritos crumbs with pop cans all around you, yelling at the dog saying, it's meaningless, there's nothing to it. Pastor D said it's meaningless, so why even try? Well, I'm glad you didn't do that, or I hope you didn't do that. But if you weren't here last week, we started a brand new sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Anybody ever heard of the book of Ecclesiastes? written by a man by the name of Solomon, who turns out to be a king, king over Israel. And today we're going to be talking about how Solomon, who uses his wealth and his power, which is way above all that we could ever imagine or think, to see if there's anything worthwhile under the sun. And we talked about last week, under the sun means here on this earth. He's going to put us to the test in everything that we pursue in life, and he's going to come back in this message And he's going to tell us if there's anything really of value to any of it. But I want to begin, first of all, with a little video of Tom Brady. Anybody ever heard of Tom Brady? Yeah, an amazing quarterback. Even if I don't even like the Patriots, but he's an amazing quarterback for the New England Patriots, even though Barry doesn't like him. He's an amazing quarterback. 60 Minutes did an interview with uh, Tom Brady years ago, and at that time he had three Super Bowl rings, which is pretty amazing. Now I think he's got five or six. But anyway, he was asked a question in this interview, and I want you to pay attention to this interview because I'm going to ask the same question. But let's take a look at the video real quick. Did you notice the interviewer, he asked him the question, what's the answer? You'd think Tom Brady would have all the answers. He says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Well, today I want to help Tom Brady out. I think I've got an answer for him, and it comes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm sure Tim Tebow knows about Ecclesiastes, amen? Anybody like Tim Tebow? I like Tim Tebow. But anyway, the book of Ecclesiastes, whether you understand it or not, is really a long sermon, one long sermon. You think mine are long sometimes? His was super long. One sermon that covered one topic, and that's life. He's talking about life here on earth with God left out of the equation. And rather than waiting till the end of the book to evaluate it all, he starts right up front, out of the gate, evaluating life and what it it really means. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. And notice the exclamation point. He's trying to make a point. All is vanity. Remember last week that word vanity, we learned that it really is another word for nothing. It's all nothing. It's another word for meaningless. It's all meaningless. And we've already seen, especially last week, that Solomon realized that life is just one endless circle, one monotonous cycle that never ends, but it never goes anywhere. How many remember my illustration last week of walking on the treadmill or running on the treadmill? 
with all the energy I exert, with all the sweat that I might uh, uh, perspire, all the miles that I run, I'm still going nowhere. Well, that's just like Solomon. That's what he felt about life. Without God, guess what? We're going nowhere. We might think we're getting somewhere, but without God, you're going nowhere. Ecclesiastes is basically the autobiography of Solomon, who tried to seek happiness, joy, peace, satisfaction in the things of this earth. And he really stops at nothing, you'll see in these texts. He stops at nothing to see if, that, if any person at all could ever be completely satisfied without God. And you know, we're sitting here today, and I think it's part of our human nature to try to find everything else but God to satisfy us. We're trying to satisfy our lives with a lot of things. We can turn on the TV, and you can see lots of people that think if they can smoke it, shoot it, drink it, love it, spend it, then they're going to find happiness. They're going to find joy. They're going to find satisfaction. So my main point today, if you're taking notes, is just every street to satisfaction, every path to peace that we walk down is useless. It's worthless without God. So Ecclesiastes, when I look at it and read it, I think it's God actually trying to teach us that there are some dead-end streets that we shouldn't go down in life if we're trying to pursue peace, joy, happiness, and satisfaction. And I think if you look at this book, God can save us a lot of time, money, and energy if we would just take a moment to listen to the words that Solomon has to say. Solomon basically chooses four paths or four ways to chase down and find satisfaction. I say four ways because I think these are the four main ways that we try to find satisfaction in our lives. So see if you can find yourself in any of these today or maybe in all of these today. But if you're taking notes, the first one is increase in knowledge. Solomon thought he could find satisfaction by increasing in knowledge. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. So t Solomon is talking about human knowledge. He's talking about philosophy. He's talking about psychology. He's talking about sociology. He's talking about history. He's talking about logic. He's talking about science. He's talking about the greatest thoughts that the human mind could come up with. So he's talking not about the wisdom of God, but wisdom that's learned. He's talking about human man's kind of wisdom. I can just picture it now. Solomon in the library 24-7, reading everything he can get his hands on, reading anything and everything that has to do with anything to increase in knowledge. Look what happens in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 16. Solomon said, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased in wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. To me, it sounds like he's a little bit conceited. Sounds like he's a little bit arrogant. Uh, he's saying, nobody knows what I know. And the truth is, it was a fact, Jack. I mean, it was true. Nobody had the wisdom that Solomon had. Look what others said about Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. How many know how many grains of sand are on the seashore? None of us do, right? That's a lot of wisdom that he gave uh, Solomon. Look at verse 30. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. 
There was a lot of wisdom in the East in those days. There was a lot of wisdom in Egypt in those days. But Solomon surpassed it all. Look at verse 34. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So I think I could safely say that Solomon was definitely a smarty pants. Amen? Literally a smarty pants. Solomon was the know-it-all that actually knew it all. I mean, he did. He had all the wisdom. Some of you are really smart in this room, a lot smarter than I am. And I'm not saying this to hurt you, but you're not Solomon smart. Even as smart as you are, we've got some bright minds in here, but you can't hold a candle to Solomon's wisdom. Some of you graduated summa cum laude, probably. I just graduated thank the laude, amen? That's the truth. But nobody can touch Solomon in the intelligence department. The Bible even says that the queen of Sheba uh, came from the ends of the earth to hear and see the wisdom of this man named Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 17 says this, Solomon says, And I set my mind to know wisdom and to also know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. I think Solomon is actually saying the more I learned, the less I liked what I knew or what I had learned. It seems the more he learned, the more wisdom he got, the more frustrated he was, the more upset with life he was. And I think with all the wisdom in this world that it can offer, it may answer the question, how does a person die? But it's never going to answer the question, when a person dies, will they live thereafter? It's never going to answer those kind of questions. And when you're at the end of your life, that's a question I really want to know the answer to. How about you? I want to know the answer to that question. And kids, before we go too far, don't go home and tell your parents, well, Pastor D said I don't have to be very smart in school. I'm not saying that. There's nothing wrong with wisdom and education. In fact, I believe with all of my heart, God designed you to learn. But just education and wisdom without God, apart from God, he's saying, is meaningless. The second path to satisfaction that Solomon tried to find was actually pleasure. Let's just say Solomon moved from the schoolhouse to the fun house. Amen? He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. Solomon decides he's going to live it up. And if he were to get a tattoo, I would imagine that tattoo would have said, if it feels good, do it. And then do it some more. And then do it some more, and that'll lead you to real meaning in your life, happiness and satisfaction in your life. How many know that's a lie? A lot of us know it from personal experience. That's, at, that's an absolute lie. But I do believe from what the Word tells us that Solomon went out there and he really lived it up. I can imagine TMZ and Inside Edition being there on the doorstep of the palace trying to do an interview with him, see what's going on in his life. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 2 verses 1 through 3 again. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless, Solomon says. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. He's saying, listen, I'm going to devote myself to pleasure. 
I'm going to do all I can to find pleasure. And he begins by throwing the biggest parties this world has ever seen. I can imagine him lining up the comedians. He's got to have Jim Gaffigan, right? Got to have Larry the Cable Guy. Got to have Jeff Foxworthy. He's bringing in the best foods. He's rolling out the barrels of wine. He's living it up. Day after day, and the Bible says for an extended period of time. Bible really doesn't tell us how long this goes on or what that extended period of time is. But these parties were huge. They were massive. And every commentary that I did my research on told me that basically the same things, the same numbers. Between 15,000 and 20,000 people would attend his parties. Pretty good-sized parties, if you ask me. So your little barbecue soiree you had in the backyard last week, small potatoes compared to what Solomon, uh, his parties were. Solomon would look at it probably and go, well, that's cute, but give me a break. Amen? But when you think about things not ever changing, some things change, some things don't change, even from Solomon's day to our day. The only difference is, I believe Solomon, he was experimenting with life to find out what would bring him pleasure and satisfaction. He was experimenting with alcohol. Today we have all sorts of drugs to abuse, but it doesn't take drugs, it doesn't just take alcohol, it doesn't just take parties. It can be lots of things we do for entertainment or pleasure. We might move from one golf game to another, and it gets a hold of us. We might move from one movie to another, from one TV show to another, from one person to another, trying to find satisfaction and happiness. But what happens when we start that route down that track? You know as well as I do, you've got to have more and more. You want more and more, but in the end, you find out it satisfies you less and less. That's why people become addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography, to gambling, to money, to fame and fortune, or whatever it might be. It reminds me of a kindergarten class who on the last day of school, uh, the children brought in a present for their teacher. Well, the first little boy that brought in uh, a present for his teacher was uh, the florist's son. He handed the teacher the box, and she looked at it, and she shook it, and she says, I bet these are flowers. The little boy looked at her and says, you guessed it. Yes, they're flowers. The next little girl was the candy store owner's daughter. She brought her box up to the teacher. The teacher shook it and said, I bet these are candies. The little girl's eyes lit up, and she says, yes, they're candies. The next little boy that brought his gift up was the liquor store owner's son. The teacher held his box up, and he, she realized, wait a minute, this is leaking. And instead of shaking it, she says, she caught a drip with her finger and touched it to her tongue, and she says, I bet this is wine. The little boy looked at her and says, no, it's not wine. She caught another drop, touched it to her tongue. She says, I bet it's champagne. He goes, no, it's not champagne. After guessing several guesses, she finally gives up and says, I can't guess it. What is it? His eyes got real big, big smile on his face. He says, it's a puppy. (laughs) Some of you will get that in a minute. (laughs) But you might be saying, what does it have to do with anything? To me, it tells me that Solomon had tasted every pleasure life had to offer. But it wasn't what he thought it would be. Amen? But eventually he got tired of waking up in the back of a chariot headed to Mexico with a new tattoo. What I'm saying is that he didn't find satisfaction in pleasure. The third way he tried to find satisfaction was in things, material possessions. 
I believe Solomon came to a point in his life, as successful as he was, and thought, I've got to make something out of myself. So he decides to build himself a house. And when Solomon builds a house, it's not just any house. I'll just start with saying that. But look at the house he builds in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. Then he says, I even made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I mean, he goes all out in his yard work, you might say. I mean, how many have ever been to Allerton Park, right up there near Monticello? Pretty amazing park to be that close to us. It's beautiful. I know a couple of you have been able to go out to see the Biltmore Mansion out in North Carolina. How many have ever seen that place? It is stunning. It's amazing. But both of these places I mentioned and just about every other place I can think of pales in comparison to the house that Solomon built. And just to give you an idea of the house that Solomon built, first of all, he started with God's temple. He built God a house, and it took seven years to build God's house. And it wasn't just any house. I mean, it was elaborate. It was gold lined everywhere, pure gold, precious rubies, precious stones everywhere. So it took him seven years to build one of the ancient wonders of the world. But when it came to his house, guess how long it took him to build his house? Twice that much. Fourteen years. That tells me he put some effort, energy, and money into his house. And not only does he build his house that takes 14 years, he builds a house for all of his wives which would have been a major undertaking. It's like building a small city in itself. When it comes to yard work, Solomon evidently loved yard work. I love yard work. How many love to just get on the mower and mow? I love it because I don't have to think a lot. You just get on there and you mow. I love to trim. I love to plant a tree here and there, plant shrubs here and there, trim trees, trim uh, bushes, trim all that stuff. And sometimes when I get done, I sit back and I enjoy it. I say, it looks beautiful. It looks good. Sit on the back porch sometimes, sip my iced tea and enjoy it. Well, Solomon's landscaping was on a whole nother level. Let's just say that. I mean, he would, uh, not to be outdone, he would probably look at me and say, hey, I didn't plant a tree. I planted a forest. Then I dug reservoirs just to water my forest. He said, I like what you've done with the pansies and the roses and the lilies but I planted a forest. So anything we do or could ever do isn't going to hold a candle to what Solomon tried to do, but he was on a quest. He was trying to find what would satisfy him in this life. Look what he goes on to say. He says, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So you might say we leave the party scene, we go into the building scene, we leave the the building scene, and we go into a life of wealth and ease that Solomon starts living. He's saying, listen, I had slaves and my slaves had slaves. He's saying, I didn't do anything for myself. He said, I slept into about 11 o'clock, somebody fixed me breakfast, they chewed it up, and then they fed it to me, amen? I didn't do anything for myself. Then I went out for my first manicure. Then I first went, uh, went out for my first pedicure. Then I went out for a massage. He's saying I did nothing for myself or by myself because it was all done for me so that I could just sit back and enjoy my riches and my wealth. This guy was a very rich and wealthy man. Verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Some people collect stamps, Right? Some people collect arrowheads or try to like I do sometimes. Not very good at it, but I try to. This guy collected money. 
This guy collected riches. I read a commentary just to show you how rich this guy was. He had a stable of 40,000 horses. That's a big stable. That's a lot of horses. He had a throne that was made of solid ivory. And if that wouldn't have been beautiful enough, he covered it with pure gold. Then talk about money, just in gold and silver. I found out his net income was $500 million a year. That was way back when. $500 million a year. Someone estimated his net worth at over $800 billion. His net worth over $800 billion, that was way back when. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23 confirms this. King Solomon was greater in riches than all the other kings of the earth. So with all those riches and everything that he had, do you think he found that to be the answer to his life? Evidently not, because three chapters later in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, he has this to say. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. You know, when I read that verse, I remember something else that I read one time somebody said. They said that the poor are often better than the rich because the poor still think money will buy them happiness and the rich know better. You know, I think trying to be satisfied with money is like trying to quench a deep, deep thirst with salt water. I mean, you can drink all you want or all you can, but I guarantee it's not going to quench your thirst. Amen? What does salt water do? It makes you even more thirsty wanting more. Jim Carrey, the famous comedian, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they've ever dreamed of doing so they too can realize it's not the answer. You know, Solomon figured out that a long time before Jim Carrey figured it out, that the riches of this world are never going to satisfy. But the fourth thing, Solomon's not done yet trying to find satisfaction. The fourth thing that Solomon tried to find satisfaction with would have made Wilt Chamberlain blush. Sex and intimacy, I'll just say that. Verse 8, he says, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything. When he said everything, he had everything a man could desire. I told you last week, but I don't know if you caught it, how many women that he had. 1 Kings 11 verse 3 says he had 700 wives, 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. He had 1,000 women. That means he could have been with a different woman for three years in a row solid. Would have probably made Hugh Hefner blush, amen? I mean, he didn't hold a candle to Solomon. But what I'm saying is Solomon tried to find meaning and satisfaction in anything and everything apart from God, without God. And in the end, he found it to be a meaningless waste of time. That just goes to show us, I believe, to prove to us that you can have a full stomach. You can have a full fridge, a full house, a full closet. You can have a full resume. You can have a full bank account. You can have a full social life and still have an empty soul. Solomon had it all. He had everything. He had extreme intelligence. He had material possessions, entertainment, women. But all of these he had without God. And do you think he found satisfaction in any of these? Not really. Because everything minus God is nothing. Everything minus God is nothing, but nothing plus God is everything. Everything minus God is nothing, but nothing plus God equals Everything. Listen to these ending statements that Solomon made. Ecclesiastes 2, chapter 2, verse 9. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. 
My wisdom also stood by me. That stands out to me right there because he didn't say God's wisdom stood by me. He said my wisdom stood by me. God is saying it's foolish to trust in your own wisdom. Verse 10, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure for my heart was pleased because of all of my labor. And this was my reward for all of my labor. I think he thinks this is what I deserve for all the hard work that I put into it. He had every means of gratification. Everything that he could have ever desired was within his reach. All he had to do was take a hold of it. And he took a hold of it and possessed it. Yet in the end, look what he says in the next verse, in verse 11. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all my vanity and striving after the wind. And behold... All was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So think about the guy that I've been talking about so far, and the guy we're talking about in this sermon series. He was the wisest. He was the wisest. He was the richest man that ever lived. He had both brains, and he had the bucks to do it all and to have it all. And really, he wasn't saying that all he was doing was wrong, because in the right context, Sex isn't wrong. In the right context, pleasure's not wrong. Money's not wrong. Learning's not wrong. But if you and I are looking for any of these things or all of these things I've been talking about today to satisfy us, to bring us happiness, peace, and meaning in our lives without God, you're going to be miserable. No matter how hard we try to achieve satisfaction in everything else, and this world has a whole lot to offer. And I'm not saying the things of this world are bad. But I'm saying without God, they're bad. I'm saying without God, you're missing the whole point. So the biggest questions I want to ask everyone today is, what path are you on? What path are you on today? Ask yourself that question. And where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your trust? If it's in Christ, you're going to find the joy that Solomon was looking for. You're going to find peace. You're going to find meaning. You're going to find satisfaction. And I believe God's going to provide everything that you need. But if it's in other things ahead of God or instead of God, you're never going to find meaning. You're never going to find joy and satisfaction in your life. Solomon had the power and the money to arrange things. He arranged every aspect of his external world to bring him maximum pleasure. He wanted to maximize the pleasure. But he never experienced lasting happiness and peace and satisfaction because something was wrong in here. Something was wrong in his internal condition. Something was wrong with his heart. And the highs of his life, as high as they were, faded quick. The highs of his life faded. The pleasures of his life were just for the moment. Chuck Swindoll, a great man of God, once said, If there is nothing but nothing under the sun, our only hope must be above the sun. If there's nothing but nothing under the sun, then our only hope must be in him. In this whole text, and really in most of the book, Solomon is describing a worldview without God. And the thing is, without God, life's going to be empty. Life is going to be meaningless until you invite God in. There are some people here today, and you haven't invited God in. You're still caught in the treadmill trap, running in circles. And God's just waiting for you to look His way, to trust Him to satisfy everything that you need. So with all the riches and fame that this world has to, to give, to offer, 
For people like Tom Brady who asked the question, is this all there is? Sad to say without God, yes, this is all there is. But it's God that gives us meaning, purpose, and direction in our lives. And you know what I've found? When you've got God in your life and you've got Jesus Christ living on the inside of you, even as chaotic as life gets sometimes, it begins to make sense. Life starts making sense when you look through the lens of faith. Faith keeps us alive. Faith in God keeps us alive. Because God has taken us from shifting sand to a solid foundation. And if you're not on a solid foundation of Jesus Christ today, before you leave here, you can be. You don't have to be blown by the wind. Like Solomon says, I see Solomon as the most conflicted guy that I've ever read about. What he says doesn't even make sense to me a lot of the scriptures because he says one thing in one verse and the other one he totally undo, undoes it. I've been conflicted in my life and I'm sure every one of us in this room have been conflicted. You want to do what's right, but everything pulls you in the wrong direction. And I can just simply put it this way. The only direction that's going to be the right direction is God's direction. It's in this Word. It's in the Word that brings life. So this morning, if you're here, and we live in a world that offers it all, yeah, we'll never be as rich as Solomon or as wise as Solomon, but by golly, this world offers the moon to us. But we've got to make some choices. Choose God first. Invite Him to be first place in your life. So this morning, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you tired of running on the treadmill of life? Are you tired of... Tired of trying to find answers in all the wrong places. Feel like you're running in circles and getting nowhere. Think about that as you stand to your feet this morning. Because God's got a new direction for you. God's got a better way for each one of us. And as I pray this prayer, I just want your heart to agree with it. I want you to pray along with me this prayer. We don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. But Lord God, I pray today that this message has opened our eyes to truly see that genuine peace, contentment, joy, and satisfaction can only be found in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that each person here today, I pray that we would begin to put less energy in chasing all the things of this world and put a whole lot more energy in pursuing you. Father, help us to realize that without you, we'll never be satisfied. Even if we have the riches, the possessions, the knowledge, the pleasures that Solomon enjoyed. Lord, I pray that we would invite you into our lives today to be all that you desire to be in us and to make us all that you desire to be. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Take this message home. Let it change your life. God bless you all.